Hey, welcome to the Micro Entrepreneur Podcast, The Magic of Thinking Small. I am Julie Hall, the founder of microentrepreneur.biz and womenunlimitedworldwide.com, the UK's most popular women in business website. On this podcast, my main goal is to help you with marketing, mindset, and smart business strategies to help you build a successful micro business. Listen weekly as I share with you the proven strategies and tips on how to build and grow your micro business from real micro business owners just like you. Make sure you head over to microentrepreneur.biz and sign up to get a copy of my business tools that I couldn't live without. And I look forward to connecting with you over there. Now on to the show. Hello and welcome to episode 31 of Micro Entrepreneur, The Magic of Being Small. Today on this interview, I have Sarah Arrow, who is an amazing blogger and runs a fantastic 30-day blogging challenge. And we talk all about how to get the most out of your blogging and share a little bit of her story. I'm going to make this intro really super short because I'm very, very busy at the moment, uh, just putting together the final details on my email marketing course. We are actually running a couple of webinars, one on February 11th, one on February 12th. Uh, but we will also be running a couple more up until the end of the month. We're doing it all about how to create an awesome email marketing sales plan because one of the things that I find with most people's email marketing is they're doing email marketing because they feel like they should, but they're not actually turning that into bucks in their bank, so to speak. So they're not actually managing to convert that into sales. And that's what I'm going to be talking about on the webinars. So if you're interested in joining us on one of those webinars, go to microentrepreneur.biz and there will be a link in the sidebar. Um, And now we're going to go straight into the show. So have a brilliant week and I look forward to catching up with you next time. Take care. Hi, and welcome to this week's edition of Micro Entrepreneur, The Magic of Being Small. Today with me, I am thrilled to have my good friend, Sarah Arrow. Hi, Sarah. Hey, Julie. So excited to be here with you. And just for those that listen, to be honest, this is our second go round at this because unfortunately the first go round got corrupted. But uh, that doesn't mean it's not going to be a great interview. We're going to have a great time talking all about blogging because Sarah is one of, I think, the UK's leading experts in blogging. She's, there's not much that she doesn't know about it. She's got a 30-day blogging challenge. She owns a business called sarkemedia.com. Dot com? Yep, dot dot com. com. And she also runs one of the UK's biggest blogs for women called Birds on the Blog, which you can find at birdsontheblog.co.uk. So I'm really excited to have you on the um, show today, Sarah, because I think blogging's awesome. Obviously, everybody talks a lot about the importance of having content on your website, but actually it's more than just throwing anything up there. And I'm and I'm really excited to be talking to you about what type of stuff we should be putting up, how we should be using blogging in our businesses, and any advice and wisdom that you can share around that. Okay, where should we start, Julie? Right right. at the beginning? Right at the beginning. Well, first off, why don't we talk a little bit about your business? Because you've got a number of aspects around your business, don't you? You've got magazines, you've got your your media business, Mm -hmm. you've got Birds on the Blog, which you run as a charity. Is that right? Kind of. um, It's funded by... 
charitable donations and we send that money to little girls in Africa, Princess and Perfect, and we've been sponsoring them for years now. So we've seen them grow from slightly bigger than a toddler to almost young ladies now and we've been funding their education. Some of the women run extra events where a bigger proportion of the event fee is donated to the girls and that's helped things like bike sheds and Ida's now campaigning for some money for some computer skills for the girls. So it's really it started off as we've got £3.50, what shall we do with it in advertising revenue to now being so much more? And that's what blogging does. It takes things and amplifies them. Well, fantastic. Well, okay, so let's go, let's go from that. Let's talk about um, setting up birds on the blog and what was your inspiration for that? Well, it started with a conversation online and in a group that was on the Academy site owned by Penny Power. And in the group were women like Barbara Saul, Jane Hatton, Linda Mattox. And we were all having these conversations about what it was to be like a woman in business. And you'd read articles from women in business and you would imagine them getting up, slipping into their silk underwear, popping on their Armani suits, having their dresser come along and finish their hair and then put the finishing touches on their makeup. And then their driver comes around, picks them up, takes them to the office. And there we are with busy mums, with our own businesses. And we know that children don't sit down at the breakfast table and eat their breakfast. They tend to have a food fight, run around, and you're trying to get dressed, and you've got your curling tongs on, burning a hole in the chair, and all sorts of things are going on. And we felt that what was out there talking about women in business didn't truly reflect on who we are, because we are so much responsible for so much more than just our businesses. We're responsible for our children. We're still the majority of women that work are still also the majority of primary carers for their children. Yeah. And if something's god forbid happens to the child at school they don't ring the dad and say can you come and get the child? They ring the mum and take her out of work and it all impacts upon who that mum is, particularly around business and then Linda pipes up in the group and um, actually it's not just mums in business that have lots of pressures there are plenty of childless women that also have responsibilities they have caring responsibilities they may have stepchildren and not necessarily their own children and before we knew it we decided that there was nothing out there for what we termed ordinary women in business then I went to my local Tesco's and there was a character on TV called Gene Hunt and he did Life on Mars and it was on the BBC and it was about somebody who went back to the 1970s and he was talking to a police officer in the 1970s and it was all very sexist, the language was atrocious and every woman was a bird and I just thought it was TV. However, I was in my local Tesco's and I was queuing up to pay for something and I live in Essex and some greasy little urchin turned round to his girlfriend and went, Oi, bird, get me such and such. And she went and picked it up. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm going to take that word back. 
that is no longer going to mean some sort of slave type girlfriend. It's going to mean whatever we want it to mean. And that's how Birds on the Blog came about, through conversation and a chance overhearing of somebody in the Tesco. Well, I love the name of it because it's, you know, as you say, it it's an what you've done is taken a word that has a slightly negative connotation and created an empowering website out of that. And, mm -hmm. um, and you've got some great writers on there. How many writers do you have writing for you now? Uh, we currently have 30, of which we have 21 at any given time active on the site. So we have like nine in rest and then we rotate them so that the nine come out of rest and then the others come into play. So at any given time, you'll see a diverse range of women writing from all over the world because although we started off very London-centric, we quickly found that other people in the group and other of our friends actually wanted to be involved and they were in New York, in Canada, in Israel and all sorts of other places. So we said more the merrier, bring it on. And how frequently do you post at the moment on Birds on the Blog? Uh, we post three times a day. Uh, we aimed for tea time in any given time zone. So we publish at 10 o'clock, 2 o'clock and 7 p.m. So no matter when somebody's getting up and, you know, sitting down at their computer or doing whatever they do, we have a post around their tea time, time for them to sit down and have a break. I guess you... I think it's definitely a real advantage to be able to post so frequently. But obviously, um, our listeners are going to be people who are working on their businesses in their own and on their own and won't have a team of writers that they can use to build their business. So what would you suggest for somebody that wants to use blogging as part of their marketing strategy, but doesn't feel like they've got a lot of time? Well, Look at what your budget is and look at whether you can outsource. And a lot of people say, oh, but it won't be me. Well, the truth of the matter is it's best to have something out there than nothing at all. And when I say something out there, it may not have to be you, the business owner that writes. If you've got another member of staff that is very good with words, then they can write the blog post representing the business. It doesn't actually have to be you. However, a lot of people do like the therapeutic aspect of writing because when they have to sit down and write, they have to line their thoughts up and work out the sequence and the structure of things. So writing can be very, very therapeutic. And quite a lot of my clients are actually the big boss, the CEO or the MD of the company. And they love the writing part of it because it helps them visualize things much better and a couple of them have said to me you know when I've sat down and wrote about the day's events I thought it was this this and this however as I've sat down and thought about it and wrote it down as how it happened I've remembered other little things and although I was remembering a very negative situation as I've started to write down I've started to see that it wasn't that situation at all. It's just the way I'd framed it. But now that I've wrote it out, I can see that it wasn't as 
terrible as what I thought or it's much more empowering than what I thought and writing as therapy almost yeah but also I guess it does provide it's a great vehicle for providing clarity isn't it clarity of thought clarity of strategy um, really understanding the value that you can bring to the table Mm. I have one client she was absolutely adamant that her ideal prospects were men um, she never ever connected with women face to face for a multiple of reasons and I have no idea how she handed, landed up as my client when she's telling me this. <laughs> um, however, she's found as she started to blog a bit more frequently and discover her voice that the people that are coming to her are actually women. Whereas before when she was sporadic and not very structured, she was attracting in the men to her business. But as she's grown and developed her writing skills and her blogging skills, she started to attract in the women. And I can't quite pinpoint where the change happened, but I do believe strongly it's she found and released her voice of who she truly was. And what do you suggest for for business owners that are listening in in terms of how do they make their business blog successful? Because it would seem that most blogs that are out there are kind of educational or you don't often see successful blogs that are attached to a business. Mm. It is hard. We had a transport business and it made my eyes bleed writing about it. There is only so much I can write about a white van and to this day I still struggle writing about white vans and if I had the choice of not to, I would choose not to. So I truly understand how difficult it can be. So there are types of blog posts that you could incorporate beyond the educational. So are types like people to follow lists. So say, for example, you're a small publishing company and you've got three employees. You can write a list post of the people to follow on Twitter if you're interested in publishing. Now, you could write a small list and the three people you mention on that list would also retweet and share that list. But if you wrote a bigger list, all of those people would retweet and share it and you would get more traffic and more attention because when you create that list you're shining a spotlight on others and they come in and they say oh I'm on a list I'm important and they feel really good so they go and share it socially and the chances are they have your audience too after all you're highlighting other small publishing businesses so you attract in some of their audience and you grow yours by doing so so people to follow posts are an excellent tool Mm. to build your influence in your niche now They can take a bit of time to write, especially if you're going to write more than three people on your list. So what I recommend you do is you open up a document in Word or if you use WordPress, a draft document and you put in your outrageous number of people on your list. And I recommend you have at least 30 people. And if you can aim for 100, brilliant. And I would put 30 people to follow and then I'll just start adding them in two a day and linking to their Twitter bios and then saying a little bit about them and their business and why you should follow them. And then over a course of three weeks, you will have the majority of that post done in just 10 minutes a day. So it doesn't have to be, oh, sit down, block out three hours of time and then write it all in one go because that's 
I'll be honest with you, that's exhausting. That's <laughs> yeah. the sort of thing that I have to do every now and again when I'm late on a deadline. And I know that after that, I just collapse into bed and go to sleep. You don't want to exhaust yourself in that way. And the next way to do it is the interview post, like what we're doing here on this podcast. We both have women in business and you know that when you interview me, I'm going to share you with all my women. And some of those women will come over, hear your accent, love what you've got to say and fall totally in love with Women Unlimited. And that's really cool as far as I'm concerned because I've helped another woman find watch so interview posts are really really powerful and people say to me how do you get celebrities because I want to interview celebrities well once you start putting interview posts out there they will actually come to you so it could be say you've got a lingerie shop there could be a famous lingerie model and if you're starting to put out interviews with women who wear certain styles of bras and why they follow certain companies and only buy lingerie from that brand then you will attract in the PR people of the lingerie models and getting interviews with these is really, really easy. So once you start putting it out there, you will find that people start coming to you. And that's how we attracted in the people like Guy Kawasaki. And he was an amazing guy to interview. I think we talked about everything other than social media, which was what we were meant to be interviewing him about. It is really interesting, isn't it? Because yeah, once you start to build a bit of profile in your sector, um, it definitely becomes a bit of a magnet for the influencers in the area that you're working in. Absolutely. And every area that there is, every niche, every industry has its influencers. So you don't have to think, oh, I've got to interview Richard Branson, or I've got to interview Karen Brady. You'll find that just by some brilliant Twitter searching using tools such as BuzzSumo and other data mining tools, you'll find that there's some very influential people in that specific niche. I believe you can even use clout.com to look through the profiles and see who's influential in certain fields. So it's really easy. It's a lot easier than people think. Yeah, and I've found too, the best way to get people on the show is literally just to ask them. I just, you know, go onto the website, send a message, um, send, or send a tweet, and I probably have about a 70% success rate, I would say. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, people like to be asked, and if you hit them at the right moment when they've got nothing on their schedule or they're having Or the opposite, minutes, or they're, they're yeah. promoting something especially when they're promoting something and when they're promoting something they bend over backwards to get the publicity for their product or for their book I find authors are really fascinating creatures I don't interview as many of them now Angela does that and um it's really great because some authors are so cooperative because they want to get the word out about their books and others um, I won't name him, but he was also a journalist and he was like, okay, I've sent you my piece, but you've not corrected my typos. And I'm like, well, no, I'm not going to correct your typos. If this is how you write, this is how you write. Well, I don't think you should be publishing <laughs> with my typos in it. <laughs> and I said, well, don't you want everybody to see the authentic you? <laughs> and, and he's quite a famous author. And 
until he sent me that about his typos, which turned out to be a couple of missing commas, um, I was... I was really enamoured. I was a big, big fangirl. And then after that, I've not I've not purchased one of his books. Oh, how funny, because he's an ass, that's why. Yeah. Don't, <laughs> well, don't read books from asses is, is the moral of the story there. <laughs> they were such good books. And, I mean, it was the only time in my life that my dad understood what I did. Oh, you're interviewing him. I've read his book. I, yeah, I know. Yeah, great. <laughs> <laughs> too funny um so so back to the blogging so we can do interview posts we can do list posts the list post idea i think is a fantastic idea because that is something that we can do we can start doing straight away you can just decide you're going to do one a month and right there you've got lots of what's called link bait don't you driving traffic back to your website what are some other types of blog posts that work really well for businesses well there's also the crowdsource posts so if you've got your influencers and you've reached out and you've done your interview with them the next step would be to keep them on a little list not opt them into a newsletter or they'll just go nuts and then message them and say I'm writing about XYZ can you give me your opinion for a blog post and then they'll give you their opinion on the topic and then you write up something like 27 people's thoughts around crowdsourcing or 26 people's thoughts on list building or 38 people's thoughts on podcasting so you've then got those influences sharing a tip and again that becomes a really valuable post and this time it becomes valuable for your reader and because it's got a big number they do this magical thing called bookmarking and they save it to read later and when you get lots and lots of bookmarks the bookmarks themselves start to send you traffic and before you know it your crowdsource post is pulling in a great deal of traffic And so, yes, you're paying it forward by interviewing these people and getting their tips, but you're also creating something incredibly strong for somebody looking in that area. And it's almost like the Oprah effect. You know, Oprah's not famous for being Oprah, or she wasn't when she started. She was famous because she brought on these most interesting intriguing people and then she asked them questions and then they would cry and I think it's one of those things that if you go on Oprah you must cry and then she would hand them a tissue and give them a hug and everything would just be fantastic and everybody would be talking about Oprah now she wouldn't actually be talking about herself and she has talked about herself in the past but more importantly, 99% of the time she talks about other people and she shares their stories with her audience. And when you do that, you, you get the Oprah effect. You're now the expert. You're now the person that has this amazing information. You've got these crowdsourced posts with valuable tips that people want to share, who want to add them to their newsletters and say, go and look at this, this is really, really valuable. And then they want to bookmark it. And that's, again, it's such an easy post to put together for a business. It works from 
any business, if you sell cars, you can have five of your competition come in and give you their tips for looking over used cars or their tips for buying new cars. So you can collaborate rather than compete. And it's an amazing, amazing post. And I don't see enough of these crowdsource posts from small business owners. I see it all of the time in the internet marketing and the online marketing industries. I don't see it enough from small business owners. And it's a wonderful way of lifting up everybody because a rising tide lifts all boats. Oh, I like that. (laughs) (laughs) And okay, so in terms of um, content that we can write ourselves, Mm-hmm. Um, what's what's some good content that we can write for our own audiences? Well, it would depends. We just spoke about ones that bring us traffic and social media connections and raise our profile. But there are also ones, specific blog posts that connect with the reader on a personal level. And when we spoke about this previously in the corrupted version um, we spoke about putting ourselves out quite rawly and I gave an example of how that would work with a a donkey farm Uh, was it a donkey farm or a pony farm oh yeah no it was uh, yeah it was ponies yeah it was ponies Um, so types of posts that connect with your readers and make them feel part of who you are and who the business is and um, the first one is the most obvious one is the off-topic posts so if you've got a donkey farm or a pony farm then you would write about something that's off-topic so if you normally write about ponies and saddles and horse riding tips and techniques then you would write something completely off-topic like feeding chickens well did you know it's because I recently wrote a post um, called uh, learning to love the jiggle <laughs> which was based on the new campaign that's been put out by Sport England because it's such a brilliant advert. I don't know if you've seen it, Sarah, but it's about women exercising, sweating, enjoying themselves, collaborating, having a great time doing sport. And it's normal women, women like you and me. And the thing that really came out for me was the fact not only that these women were having a great time, but actually that that I had a kind of, I don't know, a big realization that the jiggle is not only, it's not something to be hidden away, not something to be embarrassed about. It's something to embrace because it's part of what makes us women, right? Absolutely. There so are very, nice. yeah, exactly. So, it was, you know, it was, it was a real celebration of women and that, and how they look and how they are and kind of in all shapes and sizes. And, uh, and I just got a tremendous response on social media because it was something that, um, that lots of people could relate to. Mm. So that off-topic post for you generated lots of conversations. Yeah. The next type is inspirational. And again, these can be slightly off-topic. Um, now, you can't do lots and lots of inspirational posts back-to-back because there's only so much you can inspire somebody without them saying, do you know what, I'm just exhausted by your sheer inspirationalness. <laughs> I'm going to go and read What classifies as inspirational? Um, it could be you're sharing something, uh, something you've overcome. It could be you've overcome depression. It could be, you know, you've had a child when you've never thought you would. And it could be something that's 
very motivating and inspirational and it generates an emotional connection and somehow you have to tie it back into your blog and your business and the most common one that you see of these inspirational posts are the like the rags to riches stories the inspirational stories there and we've all got those um my parents would tell you i had a, a wonderful upbringing I, I knew that i grew up in the gutter i knew it was a horrible area but they would tell you differently and i think when parents look back everything's rosy tinted and fantastic and a lot of people will say to me you know gosh you came out of a really rough part of the east end and your accent's almost gone and you now live in Essex in a nice house and your kids go to a nice school that's really inspirational and I sit there and I think wow is it but people like these they get to know you a little bit better however what you can't do is sit there and cry about your entire life and write almost a book on misery yeah, poor me because although I lived in the cesspit of the east end I did have a trip to Paris when I was 10 not lots of other kids did <laughs> and um You'll find that the inspirational posts, I would limit people to them to two a year. Two a year of your inspirational posts, a little bit about you, where you've come from and how you've got there. Um, if you're in the business of motivating people and doing inspirational things, if you're a coach, you'll be like, all of my posts are inspirational posts. Absolutely. So drop the inspirational post and do something different if all of yours are inspirational. Then you've got the holiday posts. I've never really been a lover of the holiday posts. And these are, you know, it's Easter. Happy Easter, everyone. Yeah, 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 yeah. Happy Valentine's Day. I have never really been into those. However, I didn't send an email this Christmas saying Merry Christmas because I didn't stop working over Christmas. So for me, Christmas never kind of happened. And then I got a load of emails from people between Boxing Day and New Year saying, Sarah, where's that Merry Christmas email? Where's that Christmas message? And okay, then I had to send it out late and I made all kinds of excuses. But it appears that customers and readers like the holiday posts. They like to know what's going on the tree. They like to know what's going on in your business. Are you closing down for the holidays? Are you ramping up? Are you doing something special for your customers? So as much as I personally dislike the holiday posts, maybe I again just see too much of them customers tend to like them because they feel a connection to you and they start to understand more about your business cycle because you're open in the holidays or you're closed or you've got whatever hours that you've got so it's quite a powerful connector more so than what I actually realized yeah and it's an interesting point that we're not blogging for us Yes. Right? It is about, ultimately, it is about our customer and giving them what they want and what they expected and creating that connection through our writing. Now, what if somebody hates writing? Then do something that they like. It could be talking if they're good on the phone. It could be setting up a podcast using tools like SoundCloud, um, 
there are plenty of tools out there that you can put together simple podcasts and then embed them into your website and the reader comes along and presses play you know and if you've got a little introduction as in this podcast is about xyz listening for this point this point and this point and then you've got a photograph underneath you know that's a blog post and it could be you're better at graphics and visuals then put something together visually use what works for you there's no law that says they have to be written if you can jump in front of your webcam and say hi this is me from such and such business and today i'm going to show you the black pen and the black pen that i'm holding up is made of a plastic tube but it's just not ordinary plastic this is super super dense plastic you can't break this pen and then you, you, can you were asked in school to sell a pen weren't you no i wasn't um <laughs> I was <laughs> part of a course. She's ten, my daughter, and she's like a QVC presenter. You know, no matter what you put in front of her, she's like, and here I am with the TV remote. As you can see, it's made from black plastic and it has sixteen buttons on the front. What's particularly exciting is the on and off button is red, and I'm like, where does she get this from? <laughs> <laughs> oh dear, too funny. If, if you've got that skills, if you can think on your feet and you enjoy being in front of the camera, then do it. And I think a lot of us need to realise, like you just mentioned, this isn't about us, but about our customers. And whilst I'm sitting there worrying if my roots are showing and if I've got makeup on, they're sitting there thinking, wow, that's really nifty what she's just told us. I'm going to go out and implement that. I'm going to bookmark this video because it's so powerful. And I'm sitting there thinking, should I re called this because I've not got enough mascara on and the viewer is sitting there this is really handy they don't care about my mascara or whether my roots are showing they're just getting the value from the content and we need to remember that more rather than less yeah yeah absolutely so how frequently do you think people businesses should be blogging writing a blog post for their site well I think they should try for three times a week. Now, a lot of people tell me that they blog when they've got something to say, which is great because as an expert in their industry, they're going to have an opinion on anything and everything relating to what's going on around them. So they're the kinds of people that will blog more frequently. However, you'll find some people do do struggle to generate even a blog post a week and ideally I would like people to blog three times a week I would say Monday Wednesday and Friday and I would invite them to look at when their audience is most active and we discovered when we were setting up mums on the blog which is now out of commission that when we published at 10 o'clock in the morning we got about 30 readers when we published at 6am in the morning, we got 250 readers. Our mums were early birds. And again, it comes back to knowing who your customer is and who your audience is. So you can experiment with when you actually post your blog posts. And people say to me, oh, don't post over a weekend because it's quieter. Well, I've then measured that. And actually, I find a lot of sites and I've looked on my client sites as well as looking on birds on the blog and my own site that 
there's quite a lot of people looking at blog posts on a Saturday and on a Sunday when traditionally you would think they would be reading traditional media and doing things with their family. So if somebody tells you not to post at a specific time, you've got to ask the question why you shouldn't post at that specific time. Because it may be your audience wants to communicate and wants to see what you've got to say, but they're not going to be seeing your content because they don't get up at 10 o'clock. They get up at 6 o'clock and go to work and by the time they come in the evening, they're too tired to root around Facebook for your content that you published at 10 a.m. So so three times three times a week does feel hard. Um, how... Not if you're on the blogging challenge. That's a delight. Uh... <laughs> how, how frequently on the blogging challenge? We do 30 consecutive days one day after another for wow. 30 days. And how long do the blog posts have to be? Well, ideally, you would, if you look on the front page of Google for your industry, if you search for the key phrase that you wish to be found for, you can go and get a snapshot of those blog posts that are on the front page. And I bet you not one of them has got less than 300 words on it. I think you'll probably find that they've got 800 to 1200 words on it. And quite often people will say, just write 300 words. And that's great when you're starting out. However, over time, you have to increase the amount of words. Because Google wants to show the most in-depth quality resource posts that it can. It thinks about its searcher rather than you, the writer. Yeah. So if their search is going on to look up how to make a cup of tea, they're going to want to see something that's in depth. It might have a little bit of history of where tea comes from. It might be safety around making tea. And you'll be surprised that what you think is a three four sentence post of put the kettle on, pour the boiling water onto a cup of tea, uh, stir, ring, ring out your tea bag, add a drop of milk and a sugar, you're done, is actually probably closer to 1200 words when you write it out step by step and you add in a little bit of history, a little bit of detail, linking to other people who have got information around those various aspects. And those are the kind of posts that when Google serves them up, they know they're searcher is going to be happy with. So if you think you can write the in-depth guide to blogging in 300 words, brilliant, write it. However, it's not going to show up on the front page of Google because the in-depth guide to blogging would be substantially more than just 300 words. And Google starts to recognize when a post is a really good resource for its readers and its searchers or whether something is a smaller piece of content. And I would suggest that your smaller pieces of content are the pieces that you put out there to connect with your regular readers, but your bigger, deeper pieces of content are there to attract in the people that don't know you who may go on to become regular readers and then regular customers. Yeah, so um, I'm trying to think of what the word is that people use for that type of content it's like uh it y they tend to be really big pieces don't they sort of three yes. to five thousand words you go into depth you can't write a lot of them obviously um I mean my uh, it, if I was to advise anybody on on that strategy I would suggest you probably want to do one a month if you can 
um, mm-hmm. and one every two months at the probably the the absolute minimum. Again, these are posts that can be outsourced as well. So if you've got a small budget, what then... other people could do them? <laughs> yeah, other people can and do do them. You know, so it's a case of you can find if you go networking, you'll find a local copywriter. I mean, don't get me wrong; they're not going to be cheap. But then it's you've got to look at it like this: if you were to write five thousand words, how long would it take you? And it might take you a week. And if you earn a thousand pounds a week, then can you justify that thousand pounds being spent on that article? So when the copywriter says that will be 220 pounds plus fat for those 500 words or 5,000 words rather, you'll say, well, that's great because that's only one day rather than a week because it would have took me a week. And you do find people that say, oh, but writers are so expensive. Mm. Well, try writing it yourself. Try writing those epic posts. And when you've spent a month writing about the people for this and the people for that and collating it all together, you'll think, gosh, do you know what? That 50 quid for a blog post wasn't expensive when I've seen how much time I've wasted and it's still not out there. And what do you think of the sites like Elance or Fiverr, you know, going to places like that to get your articles written? Is it a good idea? Is it a terrible idea? It's a bit of both. Um, You're going to waste a lot of money. You're going to waste a lot of Fivers before you hit rich. And, you know, when you do find the right person, the chances are you're not going to keep them either the chances are that they will have done a one or a two series article for that price and then you'll have to book them a, a decent rate so i do think you can find some really nice writers but you've got to kiss an awful lot of frogs before you get the right one and again it's a question of whether you wish to you know spend that time and waste that money when you can meet someone networking or you can you can a lot of people find a blogger that they like and then ask them and that's how we started when we first started with our outsourcing of it um, we met a guy um oh gosh i'm trying to think where it was we were it weren't drag racing but it was like drag racing i can't remember what it's called now and you do it in very old cars and there we were uh, drift racing and we were there and we met this guy and we got talking. He was into Formula One. We said, what do you do? He says, I'm a writer. I write about Formula One. And I said, jokingly, have you ever written about white vans? And he said, yeah. And I said, really? What did you write? And he said, hang on a minute. So out comes the phone. And you know when you're amongst other bloggers because all of a sudden all the phones and devices suddenly come flying out and you're comparing notes and <laughs> technique and all of that. And he's like, yeah, I wrote this article here. And I'm like, how much did you charge for that? And he's like, oh, £22. And I'm thinking, oh, £22. That's two days I haven't got a waste writing blah, 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 that's £50 a week, roughly, that's £200 a month, excellent, when can you start? And he didn't go there looking for work, and I didn't go there looking for a blogger, but the conversation around cars led to vans, it led to me, and he worked for me, well, he still does bits and pieces, he worked for me intensely for about two and a half years, so find somebody you like see if they can write in the style that you want and come to some arrangement 
Well, how much do you think it would cost a day to find a, to outsource uh, to a decent blogger? Um, you're looking uh, anything from thirty or forty pounds upwards. For, For how example, many words? Well, you wouldn't want anything less than eight hundred, would you? Yeah. <laughs> so you'd want something more detailed and more in depth, and you can. A lot of them have about pages and services pages where they tell you what they can write. And some of them have their own followings. For example, there's Christy Hines over in the US. And I believe she charges something between like four or five hundred dollars per post. But she has such a cult following for her posts. They're so detailed and they're such good value for the reader that you can pay that money and you would get lots of social shares, lots of social proof, and you would buy the association and you become associated with somebody who's influential. Now, in this case, she's actually writing for you like a journalist, so it would have her byline on it. However, you can find ghostwriters out there, and if you Google ghostwriters or look on Elance, you will find there are ghostwriters out there who will write and let you retain the copyright of what you've asked for. And the more information you can give your ghostwriter, the better quality article that you will get back off of them. If you can say, my ideal customer is a woman in her 30s, she's got two children, she's retired from her law career, but hankers after the good old days in the city and drinking with her mates and having fun. She's married, she's got a Labrador dog, she drives a BMW, but she's thinking of trading it in for something smaller and something more fuel efficient. If you can tell them those details to your ghostwriter you get a much better quality article and if you say to your ghostwriter I write for women with two kids then you'll get the kind of article that talks to women with two kids nice. however if you can be more specific about your audience talk about the psychographics talk about her demographic obviously and when you give that information over you'll get a much much better quality article one that really connects with the audience and that of course leads me into my next part is people will say I've paid for an article and people told me they didn't like it and I was like well that's a good thing because you want to you know all marketing is like a sieve you have a great big sieve and you dump all your ingredients in the sieve and then you shake it and what comes out of the sieve when you start shaking it is who you truly want to work with all that's left in the sieve are the people that sit there and say, I don't like that. I don't like the colour of your site. I don't like the way you've said this. All the nitpickers, all the family members that criticise you, all your old school friends that have no idea what you do, all of the people that sit there and bug you are left in the sieve. And what you're left with after you've sifted it all is the gorgeous goodness that you do want to work with and do want to interact with and for every 10 people you piss off there'll be one person that says wow that really spoke to me mm. and then they pick up the phone and start talking to you or they email you and you start a relationship that leads to a transaction 
And that's, I think that's a really good point. Is it really, it is about being super clear on who it is that you're writing for. I'm just going to close with one last question, which is, um, which is actually around structuring the perfect blog post. So for people that do want to start writing on a regular basis and want blog posts that are going to attract people, what kind of structure, what would you include in a blog post to make it perfect? <laughs> well, I do have my own little system or formula and I try to have a number in the headline. Numbers in headlines indicate how long a blog post is. Yeah. So if it's one, if you say one top tip for people know that that's a fairly quick read. If you say 20 of something, people know that that's a slightly longer read. And if you say 99, they know that they're going to bookmark it and come back to it later. So I like to put a nice number in, where possible, into the blog post headline so people can see very specifically how long it will take to read something. So if somebody's looking on Twitter, your headline catches the eye and they see one top tip, they know they've got three minutes before their doctor's appointment, they can read that post in that three minutes. So it enables the reader to judge how long it will take to consume your content. And I like that. It puts a lot of power into them. Then I then have to decide the purpose of the post before I even write anything more. And is that purpose to gain subscribers, to get social shares, to build a following? And the reason for that is because I need to know when I open up what I'm going to say. Because that opening paragraph is really what hooks somebody into the content. Yeah. So if I was writing about you know, structuring your blog posts. I will say something like three tips to structure your best blog post ever. And then it will be, right, what am I aiming for here? I'm aiming to get social shares. And then I can create my opening paragraph around getting social shares. So I'll say something like, do you follow a structure when creating your blog post or do you fly by the seat of your pants? And that kind of will connect with one or the other because there is no real middle ground when it comes to planning your blog posts. And then I may link to other types of content that I've got other blog posts. And the reason for this is it shows the search engines that there's more content around that specific topic. Yeah. And I find most readers don't actually click on those ones in the top paragraph. However, they do like to click a bit further down. So I'll then have a few lines about why structuring blog posts is better than not structuring them, unless I'm going for the totally unstructured, you should fly by the seat of the pants angle, in which case I'll be highlighting that. And then I would put in what I call my outline. So I would said three points I'll type in one two and three and then I would write roughly what those three points are and then I'll skip right down to the bottom and go to my conclusion yeah and then I would write that there I'm aiming for social shares so I'll say if you found this post has really resonated with you if you think that it will help someone else then please share it on and then I would be very specific here if I was looking to find my audience and they were on Twitter, I would say, please share it on Twitter. 
If I found my audience was on LinkedIn, I would ask for my social shares where the audience is. Okay, and then I would zip back up and then I would start to pad out my three points. And then at this point, I would sit there and think to myself, is this really a blog post or is it something else? And sometimes that something else could be what I've actually outlined is a script for a video. Yeah, and not everything has to be a blog post. And that took me about five minutes to learn eight years ago. And when I realized that not everything had to be a blog post, it really lifted a weight from my shoulders because some things are just screaming to be videos or screaming to be podcasts. And when you're trying to write them out, you know that although the structure is perfect and the content is perfect, you know how it's being delivered isn't perfect for what you're about to share. So when I've done all of that, I then let it stew overnight. Because when I come back the next day and have a look at it then, I find all of the typos, all of the spellos, all of the grammos, well, not always all of those, but I aim to find all of those. And then I can create the image that goes with that post. And when I do that, I tend to position mine in the top right or the top left of the blog post. And the reason for this is it creates a narrow funnel of text. So instead of having a line with perhaps 200 characters on it, you now have a narrow funnel with perhaps 100 characters. And then underneath that, another 100 and another 100. So you have the narrow funnel of text and the image to the right or the left. And people read shorter sentences and narrower columns of text faster. So when you have that image there, you can hook them into your content faster. Now, as human beings, we don't like to give up and we don't like to quit. So if we've got a good opening paragraph, we've got the nice narrow funnel funneling into deeper into the content, the chances are they've read a third of the content before they've even realized. And then you can widen out and have the natural longer lines and all the information that you want and then having this here means that people are now fully hooked into your content instead of reading the opening lines and saying that's not for me you'll find that when they've looked because you've got that narrow funnel they've read far more of it than they anticipated so if you're finding that people don't comment on your posts it's quite possible they don't get to the end of it to see the call to action so pop the call to action as a caption in your image and then you'll find you'll start to get a little bit of traction and a little bit of interaction with your audience. So when I structure my perfect posts, they kind of tend to be very different every single time. And as much as I'd like there to be a very, very specific formula, the only formula that I have is trying to get a mention of my audience or a number in the head line followed by the narrow funnel and then the call to action well that's brilliant sarah thank you so much it's been a pretty epic session today lots of really useful tips and ideas on blogging if somebody wants to follow up with you or find out more about you where can they go they can go to sark s-a-r-k-e media.com or if they go to saraharrow.co.uk, they will find details of the blogging challenge and they can join us there. It's and that's free, free, isn't it? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much. And uh, I hope everybody has enjoyed the show. 
Thank you for having me, Julie. All right. Take care. Thanks for listening to the Micro Entrepreneur Podcast. If you'd like to get a copy of the links mentioned, please head over to microentrepreneur.biz, where you can also get a copy of my business tools that I couldn't live without. Finally, if you like the show, please do leave a review on iTunes or whatever podcast site you are listening to this from, as it really helps us with our rankings and to get the word out. Thanks so much for your support. Until next time.